Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Derek. I'm here with Chad. If my voice sounds a little different today, it's because I was at Valley Fair all day with the children. So I was fake screaming on all the roller coasters to build excitement and get them over their fear. So Chad, uh, Chad, how you doing? Good. You must have really sold it because your I, voice does sound. I did. I was. <laughs> I have a really good roller coaster scream. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you can hear me on the videos from the from the ground level. So absolutely. Do the girls scream? Yep. They get a, they get into it. So nice. Aiden does not. He's too cool for that. <laughs> they they scream unless they're legitimately scared. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like our, our middle daughter. We have three daughters and, and our middle daughter. Um, but yeah, when she went on Renegade with my wife and she we had just been on um, Corkscrew. So she didn't like Corkscrew so much, not because of going upside down or because it was too scary, but because she didn't like how her head got batted around in the... Mm. shoulder straps or whatever so sure um it hurt she said it hurt her ears so when they went, went over to renegade she wasn't super excited about that because uh she was just already nervous from the previous one so um i think they took a picture on that one and they we saw the picture when she came out and my wife and oldest daughter you know had the, the happy smile screams going on and she was just kind of like <laughs> you know just straight up like stone face going through the whole thing and she said she liked it by the time they got to the end but yeah she didn't uh didn't exactly emote she, during that ride she was waiting for her ears to get bashed in pretty yeah. much even though she only had a, a lap bar yeah so right. she was just like expecting the word <laughs> something's gonna hit me here yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah we haven't i mean hayden's not big on those kind of rides so like he he's he's the kid that we have to ask him and kind of like deal with him to get him to go to right. the valley fair otherwise he no interest and even like that like the county fairs very few rides he'll go on he's into like you know the games like he'd rather play you know the basketball or the coin pusher or you know those kinds of things just trying to like rack up the midway stuff yeah yeah he likes that that's his jam so we'd never been i haven't been in over 20 years i, I don't i haven't been since high school um but we challenged the girls this summer so we have a Girl, a daughter going into fourth grade, a daughter going into first grade, and a daughter going into kindergarten. We challenged them to read 100 chapter books this summer combined. Wow. And they, they did it. I mean, the two older ones read most of them, and then anything for our, our daughter going into kindergarten, um, we had to read to her, but they had to be chapter books, so it took time and, and whatnot. But yeah, they, they accomplished it. They're at 106 already um, nice. with a few for days them. left before school starts, but that was their prize that, that they chose to, was to go to Valley Fair if they if they got to the end of their of their chart. So today was reward day. I think it was worth it for them. Nice. That's awesome. When is uh Timberwolves reward day? I feel like we've been putting in the time and the effort. When, when are we going to get paid off? Yeah. I don't know, man. Like we need, uh, we need this trade to happen so that we can be super jacked for the season to start. <laughs> I know. I know. I've been looking at the, the tickets and talking to the, the salespeople over there trying to figure out if like a 10 game package is, is the right way to go this year. And you always like you get the sticker shock when you see them all together rather than just buying them individually one game at a time. And I've sure. never had any type of season or ticket package or anything like that before. So, well, this uh, is how they warm you up. So like as uh, somebody who started with 10 game pack as well, they get you in the 10 game and then next year they're going to show you the full season. Right. Which looks like a bargain compared to the 10 <laughs> game. It's barely more. So you're like. Well, this is a no-brainer. Let's get let's get the full season. Absolutely. So, I mean, going from the ten game to the half season, at least you know, it would seem to make total sense. It's probably a push, to be honest. Yeah. It, it legit for the two tickets, and we're lower level. It, it was like legit, like two hundred fourteen dollars more mm -hmm. for the full season versus. I, I, I shouldn't say. 
I basically had a half season pack the last time because it started as a 10 game, but then you add games that you want, you know, and yeah. then I was like, Oh, give me that one too. I'll give me that one. So I think I had like 16 games, which, you know, the home games, I guess there's still be 40. So yeah, it's not even a, it's like a quarter season pack. So yeah, it was, I mean, I, I can't imagine the half seasons uh, are too even much that, more. Yeah, too much more because that only be twenty games versus what I was sixteen, so I was only like two hundred and some dollars more from between sixteen to full season. So right. it was um, bonkers. The other thing that's weird this year with the way the schedule came out. So my son's favorite player that does not play for the Timberwolves is Zion, and our first preseason game at home is against Zion, and then we have a back to back game against New Orleans like in the first week of the season, home and home, which like both at the Target both, Center, both at the Target Center, like two days apart. Because it's right around, like, my wedding anniversary is October 23rd. My wife's like, let's go somewhere this year, even if it's just for one night Yeah, for our wedding anniversary. So we're trying to plan it. I'm like, well, we can't go actually on our wedding anniversary <laughs> because Zion's in town and your son will kill you. <laughs> so I could pass it off on my son. I don't even have to take take any heat for it because right. she knows how much he likes the Zion. And she, he would be so – because they're also – we only play them three times this three year. Three times this year. Although th- you still get the both home games, both home games plus yeah. the preseason. Yeah. Um, so, but the preseason, I, my guess is Zion might not play that one because it's going to be know, a weird preseason season again, but yeah. Yeah. So who knows? But anyway, so we've, we've, we're in the, um, we haven't fully settled it, but we're in the, in the negotiation phase of where to go. And, you know, we have a lot going on. Well, just we're in the negotiation phase of whether or not I can, you know, go to that game. Sure, sure. Um, she's like, well, why can't why can't one of your brothers take them, or why can't somebody else take them? I'm like, eh, none of them are basketball fans like I am. <laughs> he doesn't want to go with them. You have a brother who like has a court inside his house, and yeah. you're gonna play it off that way. Yeah, he, he he only goes to Wolves games if he gets free tickets. Though this would be a free <laughs> ticket, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No, I'd charge him for it. There you go. If I yep. if I have to miss a Zion game, he's getting charged. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll take Hayden for the free ticket. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I was talking to my ticket guy and he was, I was like, is there anything else? Is there anything else that like comes with the 10 game package that I could sell my wife on with this since it's going to be a you know, fairly distinct cost? He's like, well, if you buy the 10 games, you get the home opener for free. I'm like, I don't need an 11th game. Like I, I want Something the to basketball probably. Right. <laughs> I was like, how about you like throw in free parking or you like give a discount on one, like buy nine, get one free. I was like, I don't need an 11th game. That's not selling my wife. I'm going to more basketball. Yeah. And so. they're, it's weird. Once you like lock down a deal, they're great about giving you swag. And yeah. Stuff. I mean, one, one game we were there, it was against Memphis and one of my, it's like my first year with the pack and my, um, with the pack. Sold. Wow. You are sold, man. No, no, with my my package. I, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, uh, with our my Timberwolves right. season package or a partial season ticket. But they had um that year they had a lot of turnover with the ticket people. Like I had the the gal that I originally dealt with, and she left for a job in Florida, a similar that where she was from, similar another sports team. It wasn't a professional team, but whatever it was. And then I had this other guy who was like my temporary guy, and then I had this other gal who I just got like that week. And so she sends me an email. It's like, Oh, I'd like to swing by to meet you and, you know, hear about your experience so far and blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, all right. Yeah. And so she swings down and she's like barely talked, but she said, 
hey, I want to get, you know, your tickets are really good. Like maybe you want to stay down here, mm -hmm. but I want to offer you two tickets to the uh, suite if you want to take your son up to that. And I'm like, I asked Hayden and he had no idea what a suite was. And he's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, well, let's just go try it. If we don't like it, we can come back down. He's like, all right, we go up there. And it, I've been in the suites you yeah. know, a handful of times throughout my life. But it's changed since, or maybe it's just because the occasions I was there, they're usually for events when I was in the suites, not like just some random people going in. But like the spread they have, like he was grabbing hot dogs still. <laughs> <laughs> but they were like, he's like, these are the best hot dogs I've ever had. How come they don't serve these out in the concourse? You know, because they're like actual like chefs yeah. hot dogs. And then, uh, but then they have like this candy bar where it's just all these different types of candy. Like I filled up a little paper bag, like, you know, like you, you bring to school, you bring your lunch, filled up one of those full of M&Ms and I'm just like crunching m and <laughs> It was awesome. So, you know, they're really good about that kind of stuff, taking care of you. Um, and then when you're season ticket holder, they send you stuff. I mean, my ticket guy came out, brought me a signed Ricky Rubio ball, gave me a t-shirt and a gift card to like one of the restaurants downtown. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, that was one thing. I mean, they, they've sent me gym bags. They've sent me other shirts. They sent me a poster of ants dunk on the Toronto guy yeah. that passed away that night. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're RIP. Yeah. They'll give you all sorts of perks once you're, once you're kind of in, but yeah, I, I think they're kind of hard pressed on what else they can provide. Cause like, I don't think they have any control over the parking. I don't think they, no, I have city parking. They don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think they get a cut or anything, but then they do give you a 50% off discount, um, at the, the team store, which we'll see. That's kind of what I was waiting for him to bring up. And I don't know if that's not part of the 10 game pack. Um, or I don't think, no, it's not. It's only so I was waiting for him to offer something like that. And I was like, well, even in arena, if it was the concessions are cheaper or whatever it happened to be, that might make, make, make the deal. But yeah, 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 no, I think because I didn't get it on my, my, uh, partial season yeah. package. So, um, but that that should make a huge difference because, like, yeah, it's all concessions and team store stuff. So nice. I already Fridays are pretty much instead of casual Fridays, it's it's Wolves Fridays because that's pretty much all <laughs> Fridays. All my clothes are Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been a little bit of news lately, not a ton of news, but we're gonna dive into it. Uh, we'll start with the lighthearted stuff first. Uh, Coach Finch was at the State Fair yesterday. He did a few interviews. One of them uh, in particular got aggregated in a quote saying that our favorite uh, second-year player, Anthony Edwards now, has grown from 6'4 when they drafted him up to 6'6. So uh, essentially Michael Jordan height with an extra 25, 30 pounds on Jordan from when he played his first eight, nine years in the league. So uh, that's a little intimidating, even for me sitting on this, you know, 30 miles away from Target Center. That, I mean, it's it's crazy because it's kind of hard to tell watching like did he that he grew two right inches. if anything he looked probably shorter because i think his hair got a little right. shorter <laughs> over the course of the season so uh from that standpoint but i mean it, it's it's intriguing to say the least because he's got to be pushing you know we, we joked about him being the the uh wing version of zion when we drafted him and he's kind of he's got to be getting close to zion's height at this point well coach finch uh, also said like He's even toying around with using Ant as a small ball power forward, which is something we talked about after the draft due to his size and his the weight. But and a skill set. Of, yeah. But know. if he keeps growing, he'll more than be able to hold his own down there. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I 
I'd rather him keep on that shooting guard and use that. Yeah, I would too. Extreme strength advantage. I mean, cause he's, he's not slow either. He's, you know, yep. he's extremely fast, but use that strength advantage to just bully every other shooting guard in the league. No, I mean, the, that's what Zion has a power forward. It's what LeBron had a small, small forward to see somebody to have the quickness of the position they're playing, but also have, you know, 30 pounds on whoever's guarding them is, is the advantage. So right. He, he loses his advantage. I mean, he can get it back at power forward if he's twice as fast as anybody that's defending him. But, but then he only has one advantage because he's, he's there's not like, I mean, how many shooting guards are faster than him that are playing no, major right. minutes? Five, maybe. You know, there's not a ton of them. And they're all they're all small guys. They're all combo guys. Yeah. 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 The jitterbug so type. He's got a strength and speed advantage over 90% of the yeah. opposing shooting guards. You know, it's just what, what he lacks right now is just experience. Versus them, that that's the only thing that keeps those, you know, keeps him in check, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's intriguing. It'll be fun to fun to see. Yep. There's another article earlier this week by Chris from Chris Hine in the Star Tribune about a, a sit down he got to do with Mark Laurie, um, which nothing. is pretty. By the way, yeah. Laurie's, you know, yeah, how accessible he's making himself to local media people. He is. He's really, you know, he's met with uh, John Krasinski. I know he's talked with Dane Moore. He's, you know, he just had that sit down with Chris Hine and he's seemed like a great guy and he really wants to make himself known. And he, he's really standing out as more of the, the primary partner in this uh, partnership with him and Alex Rodriguez. And I think everybody, when they saw the names originally, it was a rod with a business guy, you know, kind of behind him doing, you know, doing money stuff, doing business things. But Mark Laurie's really been the one who's actually acting as the owner at least in terms of communication with the media. So that's pretty cool. Uh, it's been fun to see. He, I know that there was a, a long part in the article, and uh, Dane and Chris talked about it on a podcast too, about Lori's uh, affinity for magic and you know some of the, the tricks he pulled out to impress the players in a team meeting during the summer league. And um, I was going to ask you, Chad, is there any skill that you have that you built up over your years, whether it's long hours in your bedroom alone in your childhood or as an adult where you feel like, People don't normally know this about me, but it's, it's something that I'm able to do. It's something like magic, whatever it happens to be. Um, I don't know if I would classify any of them as like a skill that I would willingly show somebody. <laughs> let's, let's keep but, it a uh, PG-13 really well, no, no, right no, in below. <laughs> no, I mean, in terms of my my uh, prowess in any of these right. these uh, hobbies. But what what is funny, <laughs> so one of them, one of our mutual friends will likes to make fun of me about it i do i do like magic um i've been at copperfield i've seen copperfield david copperfield like nine times Mm -hmm. so i actually like that about mark Mark so i like i haven't done a magic trick since i was probably 17 but when i was like you know nine to 17 i was whipping all sorts of magic tricks um so that's one i draw a lot i bet i was an art major so that's not a super big secret to people that know me well um I've in the last couple of years, cause I go to Hawaii every year, I picked up playing the ukulele. So I can play, I can play a bunch of songs partially the way through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, I only, I play the recognizable pieces. I don't sing at all. So like, yep. it's just, I just play. And if, if the part is of a song is unrecognizable without lyrics, I don't learn that part. Cause yeah. what's the point? I'm never going <laughs> to sing it. So, those would probably be the three um, things that I have. I don't try to think. I can't think of anything else that comes to mind. How about you? What are your What are your hidden talents? Uh, the closest I would have to something like magic is that I can juggle. Which oh really? You, you, for some that. reason, I never thought that was a a 
big thing. Like that I thought more people could juggle than can actually juggle. But every time my wife tells somebody that I'm able to juggle, like, oh, really? Can I see it? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, I, I guess. Do you have three things I can juggle? You know, so it's, uh, that's worse. My wife used to do that when she like, oh, Chad knows some magic tricks. <laughs> magic trick. I'm like, I, I mean, I can't like just. I haven't done any in years. I can't right. whip one out. You know, like. I don't even have a deck of cards. What am I supposed to do right now? I don't, I don't have any of my gimmicks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so sh- sh- I've I've gotten her to stop doing that. Yeah. She hasn't done a number of years now, but for like the first half of the time I've known her, she'd be like, oh, Chad knows how to do magic. Sh- show him a magic trick. I'm like, thanks. Yeah, right. So I don't know. I got juggling. And you know, like I remember, I think back to, I used to be in drama in high school, but every time I would try out for a play, um, or audition or whatever you would call it at the time. My, my mom would always be like, make sure you, you put on the list and let them know you can juggle. And I'd be like, how it's West side story. How is that supposed to help me? And she'd be like, I don't know any skill. They can work it in. It makes you more valuable. <laughs> so you're in West side story. You're just trying to, you don't get a part. You're just, juggling. I'm in the corner with the spotlight, just juggling. But do you ever, uh, do you ever, do you watch the show Goldberg's? No. It's actually really funny, but there's a, there is an episode where, the, so the daughter is a, um, she's actually a really good singer. And in real life, so it's a real life family. The, the main kid, his name's Adam Goldberg. He's the guy that writes the sitcom. Okay. And it's about his childhood. And at the end of every episode, they'll show like this old VHS tape of his, oh, of sure. the actual thing that happened that the episode was about, right? So in real life, he's got a brother, Barry, and a brother, Eric. But on the show, Eric is... Erica, it's a girl, mm. and she plays guitar and she sings, and that's what she got her start. She was on some music show as a singer before she became an actress. But um, so anyway, there's a episode where there's a school talent show, and her grandfather wants her to be in the talent show really bad because he knows she's really talented. But then the, her the older brother he wants to be in it to try to win over some girl, and the younger brother just wants to make a fool out of both of them. <laughs> so they end up um, he ends up. Gonna, the older brother's going to do the show. He's going to do a karate routine. He, he doesn't even take karate classes, but he's going to do like a a karate kata, you know, yeah. in his karate pajamas. And then the girl is going to do, or the girl ends up backing out. She wasn't going to do it. Well, last minute she shows up, she comes out, she sings, she kills it. Well, and then the brother comes out, does this karate routine, breaking these fake boards, and like a, a fending off these fake attackers. And then he's like, just, he's always a spaz on the show. He just wigs out and starts <laughs> tearing down the Christmas tree and all this stuff. And like the crowd goes nuts. And the, the dad who always thinks the kids are morons, as he says, he starts going, he that was the first time he kind of saw any talent in his kids and stuff. But it, it just, that's what I thought of when we talked to you being the juggler in the corner. Cause that's right. kind of, yep. <laughs> it was a, the, the talent show was, it didn't make any sense. You know, you have a guy doing karate and a girl singing and who was know. it? Was it Paul Rudd that did like the, the, um, the air juggling, like the fake juggling? I, I vaguely know what you're talking about, but I'm not. Maybe it was like it. in a Marvel movie or something. I, I don't know. There's some, I don't know if it was Ant-Man or some other movie of his, but like he got asked to juggle and he didn't have anything to juggle with. And he's like, now? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, okay. And he just, <laughs> you know, had the whole thing going. And There was a great YouTube video with, um, who's the guy, um, Chris, the, guy, the other Marvel guy in uh, play Star-Lord. and Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, he does an amazing magic trick. There's a okay. video of him doing a magic trick on some talk show in England for Jennifer Lawrence. But if you have a chance to YouTube it, it's actually really good. He does a really good job of the magic trick. And Jennifer Lawrence's reaction is awesome, too, because she's like, it looks like he's screwing up the trick. And at the end, he, like, nails it. 
And so she's kind of like feeling bad for him because it's looking like he's making a fool of himself. And all of a sudden, that he makes it work, and she's like losing her mind. So it's, oh it's, no, it wasn't it wasn't Paul Rudd. It was uh, Will Ferrell in one of his episodes of The Office. Oh, <laughs> when he when he stepped in as D'Angelo, that's probably why I, I vaguely remember because yeah. I, I watched The Office, um, and I watched of all the episodes that I've watched in reruns, that's the one I probably watched. The uh, Will Ferrell ones I don't watch as often as no. like if I see those I usually change the channel. So so good though, but uh, oh yeah, so so Mark Lowry, we're bringing it back to the Timberwolves. This is a Timberwolves podcast. The amazing uh, Mark Lowry. Yep. So he had his magic tricks. Go listen to. Dane's most recent podcast with Chris to talk to hear about the different types of uh, tricks he pulled off and the experience they got with him and then go read uh, Chris's article on the Star Tribune uh, if you have a subscription and aren't able to read their articles uh, which I typically am not so um, let's see what else has come up I don't know just a, a minor thing you know with Ben Simmons demanding a trade from Philadelphia I don't know if that's worth diving into Chad what do you think I mean I don't know how it affects us no not really <laughs> So I mean, we're being facetious. It <laughs> affects us significantly, but we've been talking about that all summer. Uh, mostly, you know, it's Clutch, the sports agency that represents Ben Simmons, has decided that they're not really willing to just sit back and let Philadelphia handle this on their own time frame anymore. So they're trying to put a little bit, a little bit of pressure on. It's really the only move they have is to say that Ben is is not happy and would like to be playing elsewhere, and that he's most likely not going to report or show up uh, when training camp comes. We'll see if. If that's true, if he if he goes all Jimmy Butler scorched earth on the thing, or if he uh, shows up and does his best uh, good boy impression and tries to pretend like things are okay, um, we're still a little ways away from from that coming to a head. But uh, you know, some of the notes that came along with this, uh, there was another report coming out that Tyrese Maxey, who was a rookie last year, is also a clutch client, and because of how Philadelphia's handled Ben Simmons, Maxey wants out. Uh, they've tried to refute that a little bit. Um, or they try to walk that one back a little bit, so I don't think they want to throw away or throw around their weight quite yet for Maxi. He hasn't earned the reputation or the cachet to be able to be demanding trades as well. Um, I don't know. Did you see the the Kendrick Perkins Nerlens Noel back and forth? I did not see that. No. So Perkins had just you know put out a a tweet saying like, Phil, you know, Clutch is not demanding that. Philadelphia trades Tyrese Maxey. Now, if they were to trade him because of his talent and another team wants him, that's a whole nother story or something along those lines, which is just ridiculous in the first place. But then Nerlens Noel responded to the tweet with a picture of Pinocchio <laughs> because he's just calling uh, Kendrick Perkins a, a clutch puppet, and he's just repeating everything that Clutch wants him to say, which is <laughs> which is funny. And it's also, you know, it takes on a little bit of more seriousness when you realize that Nerlens Noel has an open lawsuit against Clutch Sports. Right. That so, I did yeah. read about. Yeah. So uh, there's a little bit of background and animosity happening there, and uh, but that was it funny. It, the whole Clutch relationship. I mean, on, it, on one hand, it could benefit the Wolves because if if uh, Simmons ends up as a Timberwolf, then mm -hmm. you know th that's fantastic. But and maybe it's because I'm gun shy because of all the kind of hairy situations we've had with agents over the years. Right. Um, like the Joe Smith situation and those kinds of deals. But uh, Anthony Edwards is a clutch he guy is, as yep. well, as if I uh, recall correctly. And that makes me a little bit nervous of like, what what are they going to do when Ant comes up, you know, for, I mean, I, I'm sure he'll stick around for the extension so he can get a max mm -hmm. here. And then a year at, into that deal, 
will clutch try to throw their weight around and move them, you know, to a more marketable team. I don't know. I mean, it makes me a little bit nervous just how much power they have. Um, I think every team's nervous about that. I, I think the only the only benefit about this whole situation is if you can bring in a Ben Simmons and have Anthony Edwards here too. Well, yeah, yeah. If, like that's what I'm saying. On the, you be, on the one hand, you, you become clutch to, north, and you exactly, yeah, and then they're going to send everybody. Um, you, you build know, that. If, you build that, re- that the relationship, and you start. I mean, kind of doing what the Lakers have done for for Maverick Carter and whatever the you know, side that group wants you to do. But yep. you just you have to make that relationship with with an agency. I mean, the Knicks are run by CAA, which unfortunately is Carl Anthony Towns' agent, agency, I believe. But, you know, they their GM came over from there. And, you know, I think Thibodeau is a CAA client. And this is kind of, they that's their pipeline is kind of, is not a clutch thing. Like, they're just going to work with specific agents. And if, we, if the Timberwolves can get an in with clutch, I'm not saying you only want a pipeline from one agency. But at the same time, like, that's more than they've ever had in the past. They've never even been a, a target destination for an agency, let alone, you know, more than one. So it wouldn't be right. a bad one to go with. We had the relationship with uh, back during the Joe Smith KG days that Andrew Miller was like yep. the agent for three quarters of the Timberwolves players at that time. And then that's partially what kind of disrupted things. Right. They had Fleischer and Miller were partners and then mm-hmm. they broke up and then I believe Miller was the one that kept Joe Smith and Fleischer filed a lawsuit. And then because that lawsuit is what led to the whole NBA finding out that we had a secret deal with Joe yep. Smith. Um, so, I mean, that, that you wouldn't expect to happen to the same team twice. Um, so it's not that that I'm concerned about. It's just, you know, like if the agent for whatever finds any reason to not like your team, you're in a bad spot, yeah. you know, so for Philly, you know, and, and, you know, look, I don't feel bad for the Sixers at all because the way they treated Ben Simmons after that playoff no. run was, yeah. was ridiculous. I mean, you know, it, you know, like whether it was doc and B, nobody came to back up. They didn't even him. try. No, no. And look, I don't re- recall anybody criticizing Tobias Harris for his playoff run. And mm-hmm. he's the highest paid player on that team. So, like, let's get real here. You wouldn't even be in that spot without Ben Simmons with that team. And they treat him like he's just a hot garbage now. And so, I mean, if I'm Ben Simmons, like, I don't think it, he's the personality of Jimmy. I don't think he's going to go scorch earth. I think it'll be somewhere in between. Because I don't think he goes back. I think he does stick to his guns and, and hold out until they move him. Um, and, you know, rightfully so. Whether we get him or not, you know, he, I, I can't fault the guy. When you're When your team, and you're supposed to be one of the – two main stars on that team and they don't even have your back over, you know, a handful of games. It wasn't like the entire playoffs. He was played poorly. Like it was a couple of games and they just completely, you know, trashed him. And it's like, if I'm him, I'd be like F this team too. Yeah. I mean, the unfortunate part for Philly is that they've put themselves in a position, in an unwinnable position because they're, we all know they've been waiting around for a Damian Lillard or a Bradley Beal to force a trade so that they could use Ben Simmons as a piece to get that, that, another all-star but that doesn't seem to be happening and I was listening to the the ringer NBA show earlier today and they're talking about like either you trade him now and there isn't anybody available that they really want you know if the Timberwolves have the best offer if De'An- even if D'Angelo Russell is on the table which we're still not even sure if he is he might be the best player available for Ben Simmons right now yeah and to me if you can't get Damian Lillard you know, Delo makes a lot of sense for that team. I don't think the Wolves want to trade Delo. No, and I, I'm sure the Sixers. You know, I I have a feeling they might relent and decide that is the guy they want from this team. 
um, if if it comes down to Minnesota's one of the teams that they start actually negotiating with. Mm-hmm. But he makes a ton of sense from a basketball standpoint of you know what he can bring to the table versus what you know they currently have what they're lacking. I also still think uh, packages of like Beasley and Beverly make a lot of sense for them. You know, and then throw in a couple draft picks, however many you know. I don't know, four seems high to me. Yeah. Um, two is what I'd want to give up. If I was forced to give up three, I would probably do it still. If, if I'm keeping Jaden McDaniels and D'Lo. Um, but regardless, you know, I, I, you're right in the sense that I, I, we know that they're holding out for a Bradley Beal or a Damian Leather type player. But here's how you don't lose the situation is you don't trash your guy publicly. You still back him because I can't think of a more stupid thing to do. It makes me question everything I thought about Daryl Morey. It makes mm-hmm. me question everything I thought about Doc Rivers. You're going to trash one of the, the biggest stars in your team. You're one of the two or three best teams in the East. And your second best player, you're going to trash them publicly. And then what did you expect to have happen? Did you expect every team in the league to line up at your door to, to make a trade for the guy you just publicly trashed? Did you expect that guy to come in? And say, oh, you're right, guys. It's on me. I'm the only reason why we we didn't win." Yeah, well, that's that's the alternative. If they don't make the trade now, is he does show up. I mean, if he doesn't go Jimmy Butler on it, he does show up. But what are the odds that a Ben Simmons who doesn't want to be there, who doesn't feel supported by his organization, is going to be any better next year than he was last year, or to show any improvement, to really be engaged to the point that he's going to increase his trade value? Most, li- I, I, most likely, I, if he shows up and he plays, he's going to decrease his trade value because teams are going to be like, oh, God, this playoff stuff carried over. Or this isn't just uh, put a bandit on this, get him into a new, new environment. Like, he might legitimately be broken. The longer he looks not like Ben Simmons from the regular season last year, the, the less value he's going to have. And if he's playing where he's not happy, if he's playing in a way, you know, in a way where he's only 80% engaged, he's not going to look good. Yeah, I just, I mean, how broken do you think he is? I don't think he's broken. I think he just didn't, t- like, I think there's so much played in, put into this offense, uh, you know, generation of, of people so focused on just the offense. Look, Dennis Rodman was the, the three, third head on the three-headed monster for the Chicago Bulls and never scored anywhere close to what Ben Simmons is scoring. And he didn't do any of the other things that Ben Simmons does well. The only thing Rodman did better at was rebound. And Ben Simmons... It does. He's a playmaker. He is. A, he's a good mm-hmm. scorer in transition. He's just not a jump shooter. And you have another guy that you're paying max dollars to, who was brought in to be a scorer in Tobias Harris, and he fell down. So like, where is the where's the uh, the heat on Tobias Harris? Or, right. or you know, well, that's where Minnesota. That's where Minnesota comes into play because any other team that's going to be making a trade for Ben Simmons is going to expect him to be one of their top two or three offensive players. Minnesota is the only team that's set up right now, I mean, except for possibly Golden State if Clay comes back, that is that would be asking Ben to come in as a defensive facilitator without the need to even be a offensive fulcrum with Cat and Ant and D'Lo on the floor. So, like, him sliding in as the fourth most important offensive player on the starting lineup not only would give him the time to figure out what's going on with him but it would relieve the it would relieve pressure on everybody else because of his playmaking and because of his defense it would make the rest of the team better like there isn't I think everybody even the national media right now is at the point where they're saying man I don't know what they would give up to get him because nobody likes the pieces we have to offer 
they don't even they, nobody likes D'Angelo Russell outside of Minnesota, and we've we've seen that, we've known that, and nobody knows who Malik Beasley is, and nobody thinks Patrick Beverly is good enough. So nobody's going to like the package we have to offer. But I think everybody to a T has said there isn't a better place for Ben Simmons in Minnesota. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there is. I think you're right. I think this is the best spot for him, but. I would push back a little bit. I think there's a lot of teams that are in at the top of the the top third of the NBA that if they added Ben Simmons instantly makes them better. I think Portland is a good fit for him if they don't give up Dean, for example. If they somehow made a deal where they gave up CJ and brought in Simmons, I think that's a good spot for Simmons. Uh, Nick Wright brought up today um, Kyrie Irving for Ben Simmons. I think that makes both teams instantly better. That's a trade that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, but that's a team. You know, similarly, in Miami, Miami knows how to win without offense first players. And look, by the way, it's offense doesn't just mean the scoring. Offense means the playmaking, setting guys up, which is one of the things I always brought up with Rubio when people would criticize Rubio for not being an offensive player. Well, when you're averaging nine assists a game, that's offense. That's that's something that only four or five guys in the league do a year. And so, um, to me, like. I mean, I love Ben Simmons. We, we talked about it a year ago. Who would we take to start a franchise with from that Sixers team if we had to make a choice back then? And we both were in agreement that we would take Simmons. Now, maybe that wasn't the right. Like, Embiid might look like the better player. I'm not going to argue that now because Embiid was better this year. But I don't, it'd be, you know, how many first team all defensive caliber players are there in the league? Right. And there's not that many. That's why there's, it's the same guys that are always on that first team or second team, all defensive teams, because there's very few guys that are that warrant that sort of recognition. And Ben Simmons is a perennial guy in those in that spot. And he's what? What is he? Twenty four. I mean, he's still, you know, super young. I just I, I think I just feels like we're in the twilight zone that we're going to take a guy that's good at everything in the game of basketball, except for shooting threes. But because that's the era we're in, we're going to say, yep, this guy's garbage. I Give me another guy that plays horseshit defense and shoots five threes a game. That's what I want on my team instead of a Ben Simmons. It's asinine to me. It's I just can't fathom that that's what we've come to in this league, is that those are the kind of players that we would, we're going to prefer over these guys that do everything well. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's, it's goofy to me, but their loss would be our gain because I, I, whatever move they end up making, Philadelphia is a worse team next year. Yeah, I, agree. I, I, I don't see unless they somehow get Damian Lillard to demand a trade and push his way to Philly, or you know a Kyrie or somebody like that. I don't think they're getting better. I mean, I, and frankly, I don't think Kyrie's as good a player as Ben Simmons. I don't. No, I don't. I, Lillard, absolutely not. But um, yeah, so I, I just don't see how Philadelphia gets better in a trade now. And good. I hope Doc loses a job. I hope Maury loses a job. Like those guys screwed this up big time. All right, I got a few qualifying questions for Simmons to determine whether or not it's the right move. Are you ready? All right. All right. Is Ben Simmons original? Is he a one of one? Um, like of all time? Uh, in the league right now. Yeah, I think he is. Is he the only power forward? Is he the only one? Is he the only one available at the moment that could make I that could step in and be a starting power forward from outside the roster? I don't think he is, and I don't. I wouldn't even want to pigeonhole him as the power forward because what if D'Lo gets traded? He's the point guard. If D'Lo gets mm-hmm. traded, Ben Simmons is the starting point guard on this team. So, uh, you know, that's that's the other 
remarkable thing about Ben Simmons. He's a four position player. That's true. And that's part of the reason what makes him a one on one, right? All right. Question number three. Is he sexual? <laughs> I have no idea where you're going with that. <laughs> is he everything we need? Okay, this is a song. What is the song lyrics? You better rock your body now, everybody. Backstreet's back, all right. Oh man, that's why I didn't know it. <laughs> Come on, it was it was playing well there for a little while. <laughs> I had no I had, I had no idea where that those lyrics were from. I don't even know. What, is that the song Backstreet's back? Is that the name yep, of that song? Yep. I know I know that line. <laughs> that's the song. All right. So we we decided we were going to take a little bit of a different edge to this, a different approach. Um, we're not going to just sit here and continue to talk about what the different trade packages would be or, or what we would even give up ourselves for Ben Simmons. We've done that before. Everybody else has done it. We're going to, we're going to go a little bit of, with a historical perspective here, and we're going to take a look not only at uh, significant Timberwolves trades in the past to see what those have looked like when we've been sending all-stars in and out and uh, you know also take a look at the recent history, see what Gerson Rosas' trading history has been. And then uh, we have uh, Daryl Morey's trade history available as well. So we're going to talk about those three major subjects, um, and we'll take a look at uh, possibly if they can lead towards anything, if they can provide us any insight into knowing where this might go, what each team might be looking for. But uh, but Chad, you did a little bit of the research. You went all the way back and took a look at all the major trades in Timberwolves history. What are the ones that really stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking impactful trades, you know, the Timberwolves, they're right out of the gate before they even played a game. They're, they made a big trade in trading away Rick Mahorn. We've mm-hmm. covered that in a previous episode. Um, sort of their first big blockbuster trade, I would say, would be the Danielle Marshall for Tom Gugliotta. And um, Googs was an all-star player. Yep. Danielle Marshall was a, a high draft pick who, you know. He was picked fourth even, overall, right? Yep, fourth overall. Didn't even play one full season for the Timberwolves. Um, and he, you know, so he still had. I would say he wasn't quite where Jarrett Culver was this offseason when we traded Jarrett Culver. I think there was still more hope for Jarrett Culver, although I talked to a Memphis Grizzlies guy today uh, who runs one of the Grizzlies Instagram pages, and Mm -hmm. he uh, he asked me about Jarrett Culver, what we thought about Jarrett Culver in Minnesota, and we were talking about him a little bit, but they think that they got him for a steal. Like they're From the people he knows and his personal opinion, they're like, yeah, we gave up nothing. You know, like Beverly was a nothing player. We got nothing. Culver for that, and what's hilarious is here we're like we got Patrick Beverly right. only giving up Jarrett Culver, so it's 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 uh it is interesting how you see things. Now they don't need a guy like Patrick Beverly, so you know I get why he's saying. But anyway, I don't I think Daniel Marshall had still more hope and dreams of the other t- GMs in the league thinking, oh well, if I get Daniel Marshall, I can still turn him into a yep. all star player. So you know, and Gugliotta was a guy who was putting up solid numbers. Um, but wasn't yet, uh, you know, like a household name. And he was one of those guys that was part of the trade that sent Chris Weber to Washington. Mm-hmm. And so from that, they got a guy in, in Guglielmo that they weren't really necessarily interested in retaining. And so th- that's what made the deal for us to get Googs here. Um, you know, we ended up, so in that, let me let me back up and talk about the entire trade. So Marshall signed a nine-year, forty-two point six million dollar deal. So that was the money behind Danielle. 
with the Wolves, he averaged 10.8 points, 4.9 rebounds, 1.3 blocks, and he played 25 minutes a game or 26 minutes a game. Um, the Warriors in that deal then got Gugliotta and three first-round picks for Chris Webber. And Gugliotta averaged 10.9 points, 7.4 rebounds, 3.1 assists, and in 33 minutes a game. So it wasn't like their stats were extremely different. Um, so the Wolves bringing in Gugliotta was a little bit weird at the time because we still had Christian Leitner, who is at that point in time, the franchise's best player mm-hmm. and, and at the same position, powerful. right? Yeah. At the exact same position. So very interesting deal, it, but it wasn't like, you know, the Simmons trade here where it wasn't, Daniel Marshall wasn't like disgruntled. He wasn't asking out of the Timberwolves organization. Um, it was, I think it was Kevin McHale had just taken over as, you know, president of basketball operations and was seeing kind of a mess of a roster, um, mostly because of it, it was toxic. And I think Leitner was a big part of that. So I think adding Tom Gugliotta was the first step in the Timberwolves looking to find an exit plan on Christian Leitner. Yeah, that makes sense. It was a couple of years in, but even by that point, everybody knew that it wasn't going the way they had hoped when they drafted him third overall in 92. Um, yeah, Gugliotta. and he was having blowups with every assistant coach on the roster um, at this point. I mean, he was fighting with uh, Chuck Person on the on the roster. I mean, he Leitner was just very unhappy, and he you know a hard guy to be around when he's unhappy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's funny because Gugliotta was a guy that came in. He was the Timberwolves' first All Star ever. Uh, he you ended up playing in the same All Star game as Kevin Garnett's first appearance, but Garnett was a an injury replacement, so Gugliotta was a legit reserve picked by the the coaches that year. Um, he averaged over twenty points per game two straight years, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety seven, ninety eight. But then once again, similar to you know Leitner having issues with uh, you know players on the team or the front office or whatever it happened to be, Gugliotta all of a sudden had started having issues with teammates as well, which probably leads us to our next big trade. Yeah, we had uh, Stefan Marbury, mm-hmm. who was the the second cornerstone piece that you know of, of the wolves future he this was a little bit more like a jimmy butler ben simmons sort of arrangement where you know marbury had started to grow pretty unhappy um i you know he was never really comfortable in minnesota i mean i don't know if people out there have seen the uh marbury documentary on on netflix i believe it's on netflix maybe it's on amazon but it's actually a really good documentary by the way and what's interesting is his family were sort of split on whether or not he should come home to New York. Um, A couple of his brothers were really insistent that he stay in Minnesota. They're like, why would you leave that? One of the things I didn't know is how far back KG and Marbury actually went. I mean, they they were friends since like seventh or eighth grade. They hit each other's houses. They met through, you know, the AAU type programs. Um, But anyway, Marbury was just homesick. He just, he didn't like the Midwest. He, you know, wanted to be on the East coast and, I, you know, there was a lot of the issues around who was Batman, who was Robin and Garnett, you know, shattering the the record books with like the new contract and stuff kind of pushed Marbury into that number two Robin role, whether or not he was the better player or not. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he didn't necessarily like that. He wanted I mean, there was even though they were buddies, there was always a little bit of a rivalry between Garnett and Marbury as well. And so Marbury wanted to prove that, you know, he was. Uh, good enough to carry his own team. So I think that also led into, you know, part of the reason why he may have wanted to get 
out of Minnesota. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and Marbury went, Marbury went on to have a, a decent career. He, I think he's most well-known, at least in NBA circles, for being one of the high-priced point guards the Knicks eventually took on. Um, but he had, he had good stops with the Nets and Phoenix. He was an all-star twice. All-NBA third team two times, which meant, you know, he's one of the top six guards in the league, you know, so he had a very, a really legitimate, you know, all-star level career, and um, hopefully, hopefully he, D'Lo can build on the one all-star appearance he's had and, and end up in a similar conversation. Mar- Mar- Marbury, I follow him on Instagram, and he's made cases in the past where he believes he should be in the Hall of Fame, and which sounds ludicrous but if you put his time in china yeah well even without the time in china he was just comparing his stats just in the nba to some other players who have made the hall of fame now a lot of those guys were guys that went on to win titles and that's part of what got them into the right hall of fame but it's actually crazy how good his stats were even in a a sort of shortened time period in the nba but obviously yeah you added china and there well then to me if you had his china stats it's a no-brainer it's just like, how do you add that? Because it's not the same level of competition. Um, the other interesting thing in the Marbury trade was one of the guys, so it was a three-team deal, and we obviously got Terrell Brandon, but Sam Cassell was actually the other point guard in that trade who obviously becomes a very big part of the, the Wolves franchise history later, a couple years later down the road. So interesting. Who knows what would have happened if we would have got Sam Cassell At straight that time, up. Right. Yeah, rather than Terrell Brandon. Would have been maybe a completely different outlook for this team. Well, then things start going kind of haywire after Marbury leaves, and the Wolves seem and seemingly make a significant trade every year, whether it be for a point guard or a power forward or whatever happens to be. What's the next one that really stood out to you? So, yeah, you have a, a bunch of kind of random ones. I mean, you trade, you know, you get Sam Cassell here. Um, you trade Joe Smith and Anthony Peeler to the Bucks. You get Irv and you get Sam. Mm-hmm. Um you also make a trade where you send out Terrell Brandon, you end up getting Latrell Sprewell. So obviously in the summer of 2003, you're adding two thirds of your big three from the Wolves, you know, single best season in franchise history. Um, but that was short lived, you know, a couple years later in 2005, Sam Cassell's traded for the uh, <laughs> backwards jersey wearing Marco Yarich. Sam Cassell um, and a first round pick. Thank you very much. You're right. Yeah. Yep. I forget the first round pick. And then, uh, then in 2006, Wally Zerbiak's traded, you know, at this point, Ricky this is Davis. Still, yeah, this is still yep. part of the McHale era. And I think McHale's just like, you know, sliding down the, the cliff and he's just trying to grab onto anything that, you know, will hold his weight. And so he uh, brings in Ricky Davis, hoping, you know, Ricky Davis was arguably a more talented player than Wally Zerbiak, but, you know, not the brightest. He wasn't going to be the one player. that puts Kevin Garnett back in the playoffs. I mean, that wasn't going to be the move. I mean, it was especially. It was Ricky Davis and like Mark Blunt, wasn't it? Like we got yep, Mark Blunt, Marcus Banks, Justin Reed, and two second round picks for Wally Zerbiak, Ola Wakandi, okay, uh, Dwayne Jones, and a first round pick. So we actually sent a first round pick as part of that deal. So that became a disaster. You know, we had Ricky escaping, guys. We call him Ricky Avis because there's no D in <laughs> Davis, uh, which clearly wasn't going to mesh well with with yeah. KG. And then in 2007, that's when it really started to fall apart, and that's when. KG was traded away. Um, again, very different circumstances to, you know, current times with like Ben Simmons or even, you know, our own Jimmy Butler fiasco. KG never was demanding a trade. That was the Wolves were like, look, we're not going to be able to build a contender around you now at this stage of your career. We're too far away. We need to get something for you. And 
I remember there was a quote in the paper around that time when Kevin Garnett was like, why do I have to be the Kevin that goes? You right. know, he was basically throwing McHale under, like, can McHale bring somebody in here who does have a, a yeah. vision to get, the, you know, something going with this team? And, he, you know, I kind of see where KG's coming from because it was just a couple years earlier where you weren't any closer to a, a championship run and you added in one summer Sam and Latrell Sprewell. You, you're telling me you couldn't add two more pieces like that somehow, some way. Um, and, you know, part of it is, yeah, maybe you couldn't because of the other misses you already made. You already traded away your other best asset in Wally Zerbiak for Ricky Davis, who at this point now had a tr- horrible uh, reputation around the league. You know, he's a guy who's, you know, purposely throwing the ball off the backboard just so you can get an extra rebound and try to get, pad his stats and get a triple-double and, and things like that. So they trade away Kevin Garnett. Um, they get back Ryan Gomes, Gerald Green, Al Jefferson, Theo Ratliff, Sebastian Telfair, and two first-round picks, which is really... That's actually a pretty good package. I mean, it was the honest. biggest return for one player in NBA history, right? Yeah. yeah. And all those players had some fair amount of optimism around them. You know, Al Jefferson was the centerpiece, of course. Mm-hmm. And Al was a very solid player for the Wolves. And until he tore his ACL, was, you know, one of the top big men in the league. Um, Theo Ratliff had, was a good defensive center for a long time. Telfair was a highly touted point guard forever, just never really panned out anywhere. Gerald Green, super exciting, ended up becoming a much better player years later. This is at the height of his powers when he had all of his athleticism and stuff. Just, you know, he won the dunk contest here. You know, yep. he was the birthday cake dunk, which is one of the craziest dunks I've ever seen. Uh, and Ryan Gomes wasn't somebody that's going to wow you when you watch him, other than he's just a heady player. He was he was this, probably the smartest player out of the group. Um, oh, he and ended, He ended up being the second best player that we got back. For sure, for yeah. sure. And uh, and then you get and he was probably the guy that you had the least amount of expectation for mm-hmm. in that deal. Like he wasn't the you you were trading for the promise of Gerald Green, the promise of Sebastian Telfair, the experience of Theo Ratliff, and the you know can't miss prospect of Al Jefferson. That's what you were trading for. Ryan Gomes was like the guy to make the contracts work, and turned out to be the second best player. Right. as you pointed out. And then you and I met later that summer for what started the uh, prime streak of Minnesota Timberwolves basketball. Right. Yeah, the David Kahn era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this was just fiasco after fiasco. Um, so we had, well, I should. there was one more good trade that Mikhail had before he was a shoulder door. I don't want to miss that one. That was on draft night. He traded away Marco Yarch, Greg Buckner, and Antoine Walker, who we acquired in another Ricky Davis trade. Antoine Walker, you know, mm-hmm. this was like that was, yeah. that was a fun uh, half season of Antoine yeah, right. Walker. Um, and we ch- had just drafted OJ Mayo. I remember this draft night really well because yep. you and I went to bed like super so, excited. Yeah. I remember texting you like a couple hours later and <laughs> we talked about the next day at work. But um, and traded the rights of, to OJ Mayo for Kevin Love. And I believe we got Mike Miller and yep. maybe some other less impactful uh, pieces in that deal. But uh, Kevin Love and Mike Miller were the next two pieces we got. And, and Kevin Love became the second best player in franchise history to this point. Um, you know, he was, I think, better than Al Jefferson, better than Marbury. Um, obviously not. KG, Longevity but, included, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very solid, you know, player, all-star level player. Um, so that's what brings us into the uh, David Kahn era, which, you know, we won't go through all the, the misses. He basically, it was like a fire sale. He was getting rid of all the kind of the guys that we had from the McHale era. The big... You know, the first big trade of his was trading away Al Jefferson, which at this point, Al was a little bit compromised. 
So we traded him for two future first round picks and center Costa Kufos. Um, we also traded for Martel Webster, another guy that was kind of hot coming out of mm-hmm. coming into the draft and people had bigger expectations for. Didn't pan out really in Portland. So we thought maybe, oh, like Minnesota, well, he'll have an opportunity here and, you know, he won't be behind, behind Brandon Roy. He can uh, you know, maybe pan out and be something here, but he never really did. Well, and didn't um, he have a, a back injury that he ended up persisting throughout the years and Minnesota even tried to go back and get extra draft compensation from yep. Portland and... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when the back injury took place. So I don't I, I, I wouldn't blame the injury on his lack of success in the NBA. No, but his lack of success in Minnesota, you can certainly attribute at least part of that. Um, but I won't I won't go into too many of these crazy <laughs> trades other than there's this one specific trade that is just laughable. And on the face of it, it doesn't sound like too big of a deal. Like it's the Wolves traded away Johnny Flynn. Now we we. Get Johnny Flynn. Obviously, that's the guy we took over Steph Curry. Um, the same year we drafted Ricky Rubio. You know, everybody knows the history of that. But in 2011, Khan decides it's not working out with Johnny Flynn and trades him away. And I don't know if you recall what he trades him for, but he trades him to um, the Houston Rockets. Uh-huh. And we get the 20th pick, which was Dante Montajunas, and a 2012 second round pick is what uh, Houston would get, right? In return, the Wolves got Brad Miller, a future first-round pick, and the draft rights to newly selected rookies, Nikola Morodic and Chandler Parsons. Yep. So for Johnny Flynn, the Wolves got Brad Miller, a future first, Nikola Morodic and Chandler Parsons. That's a grand slam home run for Johnny Flynn, right? But Khan couldn't sit on that. So Khan, instead, turns around, he ships Morodic to the Bulls in exchange for the rights to Norris Cole, and then he sent Norris Cole to Miami for the rights to Bojan Bogdanovic and a 2014 second round pick and cash. But then he sends Bogdanovic to New Jersey and the Wolves got another future second round pick and cash. And then he sends Chandler Parsons back to Houston for cash considerations. Right. Yep. So that was, that was in the, um, that was in the draft where they had to pay Kurt Ramis's buyout. Yeah, so they're basically just shuffling. They're really- trying to get as much money as possible. And I am i wouldn't doubt that this was one of the things that directly led to the NBA's rule that you can only take back so much cash in a in a season. Um, Probably. You know, let, let the Wolves be, continue to be the trendsetters and turn, changing the rules around. Right. I mean, <laughs> this draft sucked. I, we watched it. It was a, a, a mess. Any year when it comes up on my time hop with all of the uh the tweets i made that that night about what the trades were and how i was feeling about it i was like i can't even get to the end of it i have to scroll for so, you know for so long but um i the only silver lining on that night was that if for some reason david Kahn had been given the mandate that he had to make the money necessary to get rid of kurt rambus then it was worth it because they got uh, Rick Adelman out of the deal as their next head coach. So I think we would have made that trade if we knew that that was the scenario, but it was still so ridiculous. It was so dumb that they just continually shuffled in and out players and just kept selling and selling and moving and selling and moving. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, and, you know, obviously they didn't value Nikola Morodic, who became a very solid player before yep. yeah, fight with crazy eyes or Bogdanovich or Chandler Parsons. And, and Parsons was like a max contract, you know, several years later. So like, and obviously injuries, you know, stole his career from him as well but just it's uh just one 
bad joke after another in terms of mm-hmm. you know what what Khan was doing. Khan's era was just you know I, I mean one pick that or one tra- well two trades. There's two trades that I thought he did well on. One was he got Michael Beasley for a, a sack of potato chips, basically mm-hmm. two second round picks. Uh, and it was only because Miami was trying to make them for their super yep. team <laughs> so that they could bring in uh, Bosch and, and LeBron. But the other one that I thought was a, a pretty heady move at the time because it fit into the Rick Adelman situation was trading Luke Ridnour in a second round pick for Kevin Martin. Mm-hmm. And um, that also allowed them to re-sign Corey Brewer, who at the time was looking like a pretty solid player, NBA, you know, a competent NBA player. And then Chase Budinger, who... I liked a lot at the time. Chase never became exactly what I maybe thought he was going to be, but you know, he was a solid, he was kind of like your Jake Lehman is now who I also like. So yeah. different play styles, but yeah, it's a similar signing. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Similar level of, you know, what they produce and yeah. stuff. Um, we, well, we also can't forget the, uh, the Randy Foy and Mike Miller for the fifth pick trade, his, his very first trade that he made. Yeah, and I didn't go into too much of like the draft ones. I mean, yeah, I, I do have it on here, you know, mm-hmm. that we traded for it, but I don't I didn't really get into because um when when you're looking at players that never actually played on the team and, and that kind of stuff as well. So um okay, but then so, we get, so then that's gotta bring us to out of the David Kahn era moving into the Tom Thibodeau era, right? Actually, we have the Flip Saunders era. Ah, that's true. Flip comes back. So we Flip comes back, and he immediately has a disgruntled Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. Um, although not as bad. He wasn't like super disgruntled in the sense that he just, you know, he, he wanted to win. And so he was looking out. And LeBron had made the announcement he was returning to Cleveland, and he was looking for help to compete. So the uh, Mikhail swooped in. He traded Kevin Love. Uh, and we got back the number one overall pick that draft, which was Andrew Wiggins, and the number one overall pick from the draft previously, which was Anthony Bennett. Uh, you know, and, a solid... and a different number one overall pick, and not a number one overall pick, and different first round pick that we then flipped for Thaddeus Young as well. Correct. Which comes into play later in the in the uh, flip era when flip flips Thaddeus Young for Kevin Garnett to bring Kevin Garnett mm-hmm. home to help mentor his young guys in Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and Zach Levine. Um, so. You know, I mean, obviously, flip past, didn't get to see through his plan. It was looking promising. I mean, you know, you get, I mean, he made a home run draft pick in, in Zach Levine. He was not a guy people were expecting at that level. Um, and flip snagged him. Um, he also drafted, you know, Gorgie Jane was a really solid draft pick. Shabazz Muhammad, not so, not so hot. No. Um, but, you know, the, uh, and you know you had Wiggins, and then you had Towns, which was a home run pick. But Towns didn't take a lot of imagination. Most most experts would tell you he was the number one. Yeah, except for the fact that every fan in Minnesota had to stress eat through an entire you know two months of Jaleel Okafor being Flip Saunders' favorite prospect before he finally switched his tune right before the draft. Yeah, although I mean I believe Flip in the sense that. I think Towns was always the guy. He was probably trying to make people think that maybe, but just for a trade. But he did. I do believe him also when he says he would have been happy taking any of those three guys. Mm-hmm. I remember him on Barrero after we had Towns. He's like, look, even if even if we ended up with D'Angelo Russell, he goes, I think I still think that would have been a great pick. He goes, I just think it's one of those drafts where you couldn't go wrong. Now, obviously, yeah, you could have. Okafor. All right, but Okafor from Flip's era, like if this was nineteen ninety. Seven, 
Yeah, Julio it's different. Or probably right. player. Yeah. So it's like it's hard when you're a old school guy like footballs at that point, you know, like and you're picking and you see this this Carlton Thane Towns who's a seven footer who's more of a perimeter guy, and you have Julio Okafor who's like the one of the best pulse players you've seen in, you know, fifteen years. So mm-hmm. um, since Tim Duncan probably and there's not a place for him in this modern era. It's right. just, it's weird, but that's, that's less Okafor's fault and more just, you know, the evolution of the way the NBA's kind of come out. But that then brings us to the Tibbs era. And, you know, we know right away that Tibbs' first big moves was he, he traded Chris Dunn, Zach Levine in the number seven pick, which became Laurie Markkinen for Jimmy Butler in the number 16 pick, which became Justin Patton. Still the right uh, move. No matter what happened. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, the right move would have been just trading Andrew Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins straight up, yep. and, and which is the rumor, and keeping Chris Dunn and Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen. Um, that didn't happen. And maybe there would have been other stuff in there, but it wouldn't have been as much as what we gave up. And then you would have had Levine, who I also think fits better next to Jimmy than Wiggins did. Um, he also has a personality that I think Jimmy would have liked better. He's another gym rat kind of a player. Um, not a defensive prowess either, but he's the type of guy that Jimmy's not going to question his desire on the court. So mm-hmm. I think that would have chemistry wise would have fit a little bit better too. Um, so yeah, that was the right trade. The, uh, the other trade that he made was trading Ricky Rubio away for a protective first round pick, but more importantly cap space, which allowed him to bring in Jeff Teague because of course Jeff Teague was supposed to be our answer to the three point, you know, deficiencies that Ricky had, even though Jeff Teague didn't shoot three point shots. Um, and that led us to the, the, the big, uh, downfall of the Tibbs era, which is the Jimmy Butler yep. throwing a hissy fit in the uh, 2018 season and basically forcing his way out of Minnesota, getting traded to Philadelphia with Justin Patton, which is kind of humorous. That that's Patton, who hadn't really even played for the Timberwolves due to foot no, injuries. No, yeah, he came with Jimmy as a package from Chicago, essentially, because it was their pick. Um, and we sent them out of the package as well. But in exchange, we got Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless, and a 2022 second-round draft pick. It's which, still insane they couldn't get one first-round pick for Jimmy yeah, Butler. it is. I, you know, in terms of players, you know, I, I think Covington and Dario were were solid players for it. But, I mean, Jimmy just so screwed this franchise by really making it difficult for, mm-hmm. you know, them to really get any real fair return on well and Tibbs was so unwilling to take any type of a step backwards even to for the longevity and the success of the franchise that he he like I think there were lots of people have brought up the fact that there were rumored trade offers from Miami that had Bam Adebayo in them or other you know other teams that would have made an offer well yeah and uh Houston I think offered four first round picks and I don't know how good they would have been because they had James Harden still but um there, there were many trade offers or you know things available that would have set the Wolves up for better success in the future, and Tibbs had no interest in that if they set him back even one one spec. And that, you know, you wonder the Houston deal, you know, because we had played Houston in the playoffs that one year with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Did he think, oh well, we're gonna what if we face them again in the playoffs? We don't want to have to deal with Jimmy in the playoffs, kind of thing. And it's like. You know, you have to kind of acknowledge the fact you're going to take a pretty step, pretty big step backwards. No matter what you do. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just a little bit foolish on Tibbs' part. I mean, on the one hand, I kind of respect his uh, confidence in himself to, like, keep the team in a competitive 
at a competitive level. But he not only did he kind of botch that, but he also botched his relationship with guys like Cat and yeah. Wiggins. Well, the whole franchise. Because, I mean, he yeah. blew the whole thing. And so now, now you have guys that don't really feel that obligated to, you know, play hard for you because you just you know, sided with the guy that was willing to torch the entire franchise. So uh, just messy situation. And ultimately it was the downfall of Tibbs. That's what got him out of here. Um, which brings us to the Rosas era. And, you know, his, his first... Nothing move, from the Scott Layden era? Well, no. I mean, it's... <laughs> no, he's <laughs> <six months. laughs> most famous for not having made any trades. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so the first move that Rosas made was at draft night, of course, he trades Dario and the number 11 pick for the number six pick. You know, they're attempting to move up and draft Darius Garland. Cleveland goes and swerves on us. And with the fifth pick, takes mm-hmm. us the second point guard in a row in their, for them in their draft. They took Colin Sexton yeah. the year before. And they take Garland, which left the Wolves sort of with plan B, which became Jarrett Culver, who at the time was consensus yeah. top six guy. Good idea, um, bad execution. Exactly. And Phoenix ends up with a very serviceable Dario Sarge and end up getting the better draft pick as well in Cam Johnson. So it didn't start off real well for Rosas. Um, later, though, in 2020, he did finally make the deal for D'Lo. Obviously, they were all over D'Lo for a long time. They gave him the big helicopter ride. They thought they had him signed. Didn't work out. A couple months later, they were able to make a deal sending Wiggins out as well as a protected 2021 first round draft pick, a 2021 second round pick. And then the Wolves also received Jacob Evans, who I believe never even suited up here. Mm -hmm. And Mari Spellman, who I believe did suit up and play a little bit, but didn't do much. And then that draft pick ended up becoming Jonathan Kuminga, um, which was just delivered this past draft. So much fun. Yeah. However, they got D'Lo. They got the guy they wanted. We don't know how that's, you know, that, that chapter has not been fully written yet. Um, We'll see that that might be the start to something here. Um, and then the other big trades they made that year, they traded away Robert Covington, Noah Von Ley, Shabazz Napier. They got back Malik Seeley, uh, Malik mm-hmm. Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, two pretty important players to the team right now. They got Evan Turner, really his contract. They mm-hmm. got Wancho, who they sort of expected to be a bigger part. Um, obviously, they also cut bait with him right away, which is another trait I respect out of Rosas if he... Makes a move that he doesn't necessarily think is going to work. He will make a change right away. And he did that with Wancho. He also did that with they traded James Johnson for Ricky Rubio. And they, now I wouldn't say Rubio didn't work, but Rosas clearly thought he could do better. And so they traded away Ricky Rubio this year um, for Torian Prince, which is kind of brings us to the final trade to this point of Rosas's era, which is Wancho and Jarrett Culver for Patrick Beverly. Which sets us up, in my opinion, to be the front runners for Ben Simmons. Because I think of the teams interested, Beverly and Beasley and possibly Torian Prince make the best package along with, you know, two or three first round draft picks for Simmons that Philadelphia could possibly get. And maybe as a third team to make Philly a little happier with whatever player they you know they get. But you know, you get a twenty point per game guy in Beasley, you get one of the be- better def- Defenders in the league and in, in Beverly, and frankly, on Philadelphia, they're looking for guys that can hit three point shots. They're not going to do better than than Beasley. I mean, unless they're getting Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal, I can't think of a guy that's going to be available to them that's going to be better than than Beasley. Um, and they also need 
that defender if they're giving up Simmons on the perimeter, and that's Patrick Beverly. I mean, I just I know, like you said, beginning of this episode, that around the league, a lot of people don't know Beasley yet, and a lot of people think Beverly's sort of washed at this point in his career. But I, you know, we we see that every year there's a guy right around Beverly's age that people give up on, thought he's too old, and then he comes out. So I, Beverly to me is that guy that could either have a good year for the, the Wolves this year or. If he's in, uh, involved in a deal for Ben Simmons, I think he could help Philadelphia in the playoff immensely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, on the other side of all of this is the Philadelphia side, and their GM now is, I, it's probably not even GM, we always use GM as a general term for whoever's making the basketball decisions. It's not GM anymore, it's usually president of basketball operations, and there's usually a GM underneath them, but it's just much easier, especially from the area that we, era that we grew up in, just saying the GM, because that was the job at the time, but... So if we ever refer to GM, just know that we're not necessarily referring to their exact title. It's just the decision maker on the basketball side. But um, Daryl Morey came over from Houston uh, at the beginning of last season. He kind of saw saw the end of what he could do with James Harden, and we saw what's happened in Houston ever since he left. But Daryl Morey was with Houston for 13 years, and uh, there was a, a really great article on um, 538 about all of the different moves that he's made and the expected return and whether or not the players he got back outperformed the players he sent out in the time with their teams. And uh, overall, I mean, the the main lesson and the main takeaway was that Daryl Morey, over his career with Houston, was incredibly successful in the trades that he made. The value he got back oftentimes significantly outweighed the value he sent out. Um, there were some, some doozies that we'll get to, but... Uh, Oddly enough, the very first trade and transaction that Daryl Morey ever made with Houston was a trade with Minnesota in uh, June of 2007. He traded Jawan Howard to the Timberwolves for Mike James and Justin Reed. Hmm. So that was, uh, I thought that was a note. You mentioned three other deals that the Timberwolves made with Houston, uh, including the, the two draft night deals in 2011 and then the, the Malik Beasley trade in 2020. Um, Overall, Daryl Morey ended up making seven trades with the Timberwolves in his time with Houston. Wow. Um, it seems like that has to be the most. I would assume so, except Daryl Morey made 77 trades in 13 years. <laughs> okay, so, so 10% of them went to the Wolves. Yeah, the the only team that made more trades during that period of time was, oddly enough, the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers, who had Sam Hinkie, who had worked for Daryl Morey, make, right. making a majority of those trades. So. Uh, in 2008, uh, Houston traded Kirk Snyder in a 2010 second-round pick uh, to Minnesota for Gerald Green. So we mentioned Gerald Green earlier. That's how he ended up going out. Uh, in 2011, uh, that those are the two trades that we talked about with uh, the draft night deals, trying to clear the, the money for the Kurt Rambis buyout. In 2012, uh, Houston traded Chase Buttinger and Lior Eliahu to Minnesota for Terrence Jones, or the draft pick that became Terrence Jones. Um, 2014, Houston traded cash to Minnesota for Alessandro Gentile. So I don't know if either team came out ahead in that. But uh, 2019, Houston and Minnesota were involved in what would essentially become around here known as the Corey Brewer trade. Um, So Houston sends Sergey Sergey Lashuk and a 2015 second round pick. To Philadelphia, Houston also trades Troy Daniels cash in a 2015 second round pick to Minnesota. Uh, the Timberwolves traded Corey Brewer to Houston and Ronnie Turioff to the 76ers, and the 76ers traded Alexi Shved, our, our our good friend Alexi Shved, back to Houston. Alexi, Alexi, change yeah. your face. <laughs> so, 
that was in 2014. So that was a big, uh, a big deal. Um, but essentially it was Corey Brewer going out. Um, not a lot of significant names that went on to make a difference, but, uh, and then 2020, once again, the, the Noah Vonley, uh, Shabazz Napier, Keita Bates, Diop, Wancho, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt type trade, you know, especially the, around the league, it's the, the Clint Capella trade going from Houston over to Atlanta in, you know, sending Houston down the small ball path and actually giving Atlanta the, the cornerstone center that they needed to really make the run that they needed this year. So seven different trades between uh, Daryl Morey and the various Minnesota front office peeps. Um, but yeah, like I said, he had 77 different trades and he had a, a few that were sizable, not only bringing in all-stars or franchise players, but trying to trade away all-stars and franchise players. Um, you know, the, the most notable is when he traded for James Harden you know, trying to acquire his, his first franchise player. I, I guess it wasn't necessarily his first franchise player. It was the one that he was going to put his name on because they had guys on the team when he came in, whether it's Tracy McGrady or Yao Ming and that, that type of road. But um, oddly enough, all five pieces traded for James Harden were pieces that he had acquired in other trades. <laughs> so um, he was just, you know, a, a trading machine. So uh, some of his best trades over the years was uh, a three in 2009. He had a three-team trade in which he sent away Rafer Alston to Orlando and acquired uh, Brian Cook and Kyle Lowry. So for for Rafer Alston, you got Kyle Lowry, which at the time, I mean, Lowry was the backup point guard for the Grizzlies. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people, even Rube, Rubes knew at the time that Lowry was talented. He just couldn't. Oh, I I wanted Lowry so bad yeah. in that draft. But I'm also a big Villanova guy, which is why right, I was. Right. I really wanted Randy Foy bad too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so let's see. And then in 2010, he had another three-team deal with the Knicks and Kings, in which they acquired Kevin Martin, Hilton Armstrong, Jordan Hill, Jared Jeffries, and the right to swap 2011 first-round picks with New York, and a protected future first-round pick in exchange for Tracy McGrady, Carl Landry, Joey Dorsey, and Cash. So, if we're looking at trading away the best player in a deal and what he attempts to get back. This is the problem, probably the best example. Like he was trading away Tracy McGrady at the time and Tracy wasn't at the top of his powers. This wasn't Orlando magic, Tracy McGrady. This wasn't even, you know, his best self in Houston, but um, it was still a, an all NBA player that people knew he was one of the most popular, most famous players in the league. And, you know, in order to make that deal, in order to send him out, he got, a lot of players, he got a draft swap and a, and a future first. So um ended up working out well for Houston, but I don't know if that was the type of return that we look at nowadays with, with some of these star trades. Like Kevin Martin was a good player. I think people love Kevin Martin on Sacramento. They knew how efficient he was, but he wasn't like a headliner. He wasn't what no, no. we're talking about in some of the in some of the deals we see these days. So, weirdly, didn't he lead the league in scoring one or two seasons though? I don't know if he led the league in scoring. He might have. He was like, really yeah, high up there. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think it what for the Wolves, Kevin Martin was one of those guys. Like, look, we got a big player. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know because the Wolves are one of those franchises. That it's really hard to go and get a top tier star in a trade. So, if you know, I'm trying to think. Who would be a bigger star that we traded for that was already an established guy? And he might have been the biggest one to that point. Because I think Kevin Martin was a more known player than Gugliotta was when, at the time we got Gugliotta, for example. Yeah. Who's the only other one I can think of um, that was of, on that level. But so, you know, the Wolves were just, they had a tough time being able to pull those kind of deals. Yeah. So, you know, he 
some of the the trades that did not work out well for for Mori were when he uh, when he sent Lowry away. I mean, oddly enough, he he got a ton of value when he traded for Lowry, and then when he sent him to Toronto, all he got back was Gary Forbes and a protected first round pick. Um, so uh, that was but was more, that a money deal? It was a money deal. He was trying to clear cap space, um, and it it didn't it worked out fine because they ended up in a good spot. Houston was a, a perennial contender every year, but it's still, I mean, been, Kyle Lowry, better. Yeah. better tandem than Westbrook. And I mean, obviously Chris Paul would probably have been better, but Chris Paul's window was shorter. So it would have been, if I'm Maury now looking back, I would have rather built it around Lowry and Harden mm-hmm. than Paul and Harden or Westbrook and Harden. Yeah. You know, and then in 2008, um, he traded the draft rights to Nick Batum for Dante Green, Joey Dorsey, and a 20, 2009 second-round pick. So uh, just in terms of overall value from the players traded in that, Nick Batum far outplayed the the players he got back. So, um, so I mean, he's had some wins. He's had some losses. He had some big trades. I mean, like we've talked about, there was a, the James Harden trade where he, he sent out everything. I mean, it was just... It wasn't even that much, which is why, you know, that Oklahoma City gets ripped that much. It was mainly Kevin Martin and some draft picks that became Steven Adams and and, and Andre Roberson, I think. But it, was, it wasn't it was that much, and especially for James Harden, who had just been in the finals. And, you know, they just couldn't come to an agreement. I think they were set up by something like $4 million over the course of a contract, which was just ridiculous. Yeah, um, insane. What, what that team could have been. Yeah. And then even yeah. acquiring Chris Paul, I know that he had to be the one to— offer Chris Paul a, a maximum supermax contract and a sign and trade, but he traded out Patrick Beverly, Sam Decker, Montrezl Harold, Darren Hilliard, DeAndre Liggins, Lou Williams, Kyla Withier, and some cash and a first round pick. So lots of players there. I mean Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, and Montrezl Harrell all ended up being significant players for for the Clippers in their playoff runs over the last few years, but he got Chris Paul and then ended up trading Chris Paul in multiple firsts for Russell Westbrook, which was probably the last worst trade of his tenure there and I but I think the consensus around the league is that he was being pressured by new ownership in order to make a splash and well, he was and also Harden, being pressured by James Harden to get Chris Paul right. out of there so Harden and Paul so that brings us to kind of the situation Maury's in now in Philadelphia so I, I think what we could see from that is Maury more often than not makes good decisions you know mm-hmm. obviously he's one of the most well-respected GMs in the league if not the top guy GM again, president. Un- unless his, unless he's being pushed into something he's not ready That's for. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah. So and now we're in a situation like when he's made mistakes at, in trades or made bad deals. Maybe they weren't mistakes, like you said. He was maybe it was the best he could get at the time. So it might not have been mistakes. We don't know what the other offers were, but this is one of those situations where he's forced into you know getting rid of his st- his second star, just like in Houston, and and ultimately. You know, because of his track record, I you know maybe GMs know. Hey, we can wait this out. You know who would definitely know is that is Garrison Rosas, who's been there. Mm-hmm. He knows what happens when Maury sort of sticks to his guns, and it knows. Well, okay, well, once the player starts pressuring him, he has no more leverage, and let's just play it, play it, you know, patiently, and make sure we don't make any moves that preclude us from being involved in this trade when it does finally go down. Because even if I think Rosas is the type of guy like Maury, who, who makes lots of trades. I mean, like just that, that when we traded Covington and all those, I don't remember, it's like 17 players involved in going in and out for Minnesota that year, um, you know, in that, or in, the, just in that one 
trade thing in all the different teams that are involved. But he's he's willing to take a bunch of pieces, small pieces, medium pieces that he can kind of package together and, and make another move. And he, what he doesn't want to do is take one, make one big move that uh, now like, okay, Minnesota is just no longer in the running because they, they, they don't have any chips mm-hmm. left to make a run at Simmons. And I think he's, he's positioned the Wolves in a perfect spot. I mean, yeah, it's not the ideal package that Philadelphia wants to get. But I feel Philadelphia is not going to get the package they're asking for. I, I will bet the house on that right now, that yeah. they're not going to get Damian Leather or Beal straight up for Ben Simmons anymore, unless one of those guys forces their way out as well. And I don't think either of those guys are those type that type of personality. Damian Lillard seems more frustrated this offseason than he ever has before. Um, but I still don't think he's that guy, you know, um, maybe behind the scenes, he is saying, Hey, look, you know, move me. But he seems like a pretty loyal guy. He seems more like more KG than Jimmy Butler, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. where he's going to, he's willing to go down with the ship, but all he, he's going to be frustrated. You know, if, Hey, look, if I'm going to go down with the ship, at least try to throw me a couple life preservers. Um, and if they don't even entertain that, then that might be when he ultimately forces his move out. But I just don't see Philadelphia getting a better offer. Um, they might get a comparable offer to what the Wolves are offering. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, Rosas has done a bang up job keeping us in that situation. And, and he also did it in a way where adding a guy like Patrick Beverly makes the Timberwolves better this coming season. Even without, even if you don't get Simmons, we're a better team going into this season than we were last year, just because Beverly's a better fit than Ricky, who is my second favorite player of all time. Um, Beverly's a better fit because he, he's a more of a pitbull attack defender, and he's a better spot up three point shooter. Um, and then Torian Prince, you know, is another. I mean, he's he's better than Wancho and Culver, and so that'll. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how how those guys end up being because Beverly seems bought in. I mean, all of his he tweets, does, yeah, you know, So that that's also fun to see. Well, he's even tweeted like responded to tweets about the Timberwolves adding Ben Simmons, right? Which is kind yeah. of humorous because <laughs> he's like, "Well, who do you think's going out in that?" But maybe yeah. he assumes it's D'Lo because of the, the salary. So, well, it was a, I think it was a tweet about Ben Simmons joining D'Lo, and I know it was, was like, yeah, 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 it was. But he, he might crazy, been like, yeah. He just responded facts or whatever, but it's like, yeah, well, yeah, he's not a GM, so no. So I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think we're in a, a very interesting position because you know, we have a lot of evidence for of what Daryl Morey's history is, and he's a good GM. He's good at making trades, but at the same time, he doesn't always make the best trade to try to find either try to find a superstar or to move a guy that isn't happy in his situation. But we also have Gerson Rosas on the other side, and the only evidence we have of him in a situation even semi like this is what he did with D'Angelo Russell. And we have, you know, we've seen him get squeezed for every last possible piece of value he's able to give up in a trade. I mean, in in that D'Angelo Russell deal, yeah, I would rather have D'Angelo Russell than Andrew Wiggins, but he gave up a first round pick and maybe that was the cost, but he also gave up a second round pick and he also took on the players necessary to get Golden State under the luxury tax. So it was like, Every last little thing that Golden State really needed to be to agree to that trade, Gerson ended up throwing in because he was so you know hyper focused on one player. And I don't know, maybe he's learned his lesson from that. Maybe he's grown, and maybe this will get to the point. And maybe he's also put himself in a position where he just doesn't have all of the things to give. Like he's he's saying like we have a good package, but we don't you know we don't have 
the, the we're not going to Anthony Edwards is too good. Like we're not going to go to that you know to those lines yeah, so, or whatever it happens to be. And, and that to me that personality trait that Rosas has is very Morsi esque, right? Mm-hmm. So like to me, what he showed by that single track focus of getting Delo is that's that was his guy. He was going to get him no matter what. Yeah, kind of the way Maury was with Harden, or how Maury was with Chris Paul. Chris Paul gave up the farm or. Uh, Maury gave up the farm to get Chris Paul, which was sort of like our yeah. D-Lo deal. Um, and now, you know, the Simmons in the Simmons deal, this might be the patient version of Rosas. And and where Maury was patient and made the really good deal, this might be the Rosas's signature, you know, yeah, home run deal here. Right. Whereas and, and his former mentor is in that position where now he has to make the panicked move. Mm-hmm. A la what he did with Chris Paul or, you know, or Westbrook um, by sh- shipping out a bunch of assets for a short window. What I like about both those guys is they're not af- afraid to take a risk. They're not afraid because they're so confident in their ability to make other moves to get out from that deal if it doesn't work. And th- th- I mean, as a fan, that's the best kind of GM you can possibly have, because even if your team's not competitive, it's interesting to follow them because you know, there's always moves on the table. Your your GM's likely to pull something, you know, out of nothing to to make a move, even if it's not necessarily the the right one. It's going to make you tune back in and and see how it plays out. And then, you know, if if that doesn't work out, they'll be on to the next move. Like they never dwell on the bad mistakes, or they're not like David Kahn, who was so sort of stubborn in some of his decision making that he wanted to prove that he was right, rather than accept it for what it was and move on and make another move, you know, they would be more like, Oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to show you that this will work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I, I'm bullish on Rosa's. I'm, you know, I'm excited either way for this season. Cause I think Beverly and Prince, just, you know, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I think those are big, big, uh, additions for us. I think the development of our young players are big, but, and if, if Simmons doesn't get moved before the season starts, I think we're going to be in play all the way up to the deadline. And I, I think there's zero chance that Simmons is with the 76ers at post trade deadline. I, but I really don't think he's going to show up at camp either. I don't think it'll be a mudslinging thing. Like, I don't think he's going to go do an interview with, you know, the now departed Rachel mm-hmm. Nichols and, uh, you know, throw the Sixers under the bus. I, don't, I just don't think that's his personality. But I do, I do think um, he will stick to his guns and stay away from the organization until they get rid of him. Yeah. Well, it's a definitely an interesting situation. Uh, it was fun taking another trip down memory lane. It's I I don't know. Maybe fun's not the right word to looking looking back at the Timberwolves historical trades because not a ton of them have turned out the way that we wanted them to. But and a lot of them have been made in a in a panic situation as well. But uh, there are some some gems in there. Some some something to look back on, especially the, the nostalgia it caused. So, uh, Chad, thanks for taking this trip down memory lane with me, and uh, we'll bring back next week. Hopefully, we can talk about uh, Ben Simmons trade. That'd be awesome, man. All right, let's do it. We'll do it. If there's a Ben Simmons trade, I guarantee you we'll do an emergency pod and we'll get something out before next next uh, Friday. But we'll uh, we'll see you guys in, a, in about a week. And uh, Chad, any last parting thoughts? No, I'm uh, excited to excited to get the season underway. All right, I'm excited uh, to get back to the to the Target Center to actually watch some games in person. I only got to one or two this last year post mm-hmm. COVID release, so I'm just looking forward to basketball again. All right, I love it. I'm gonna go drink some water and refresh my vocal cords after all the screaming today so all right everybody thank you for joining us we will see you in about a week peace out see you